Welcome to the Under 8 Podcast, a three times per week college basketball show brought to you in under eight minutes at the time of recording. It is Tuesday, February 20th, 11.07 p.m. My name is Josh Molnix. On today's pod, UConn finally falls again in Big East play. Houston tops Iowa State in a big-time Big 12 matchup in the Mount West the battle atop the Mountain West uh, is close and uh, had a 40-minute game of action on the West Coast this evening. It's all right now on the Under 8 Podcast. Josh Doring is here with me. When anybody shoots 54% from the field, 50% from the three-point line going 14 of 28, when anybody does that, they're probably going to have a pretty good chance to beat anybody in the country. But with when someone, a team with the talent that Creighton has does that, they can beat anybody handedly. And yes, that includes the Connecticut Huskies. We're waiting for this all season, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Finally happened. Yep. We knew it was in there somewhere. And they boy, do they pick a good time to go into unstoppable offense mode where everything goes in and you just can't guard them. Yep. <laughs> maybe exactly. this goes maybe this goes a little bit differently if Donovan Klingon doesn't pick up two very, very early fouls because UConn did get off to a good start and then immediately when he went to the bench crate and took over and then just mm-hmm. kept going. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it changes the ultimate results. It's probably a closer game. And Baylor Shireman took the first half off. Yeah. And it didn't matter. Like I said, 55% from the field for Creighton, 50% from the three-point line. This is, you know, before the season started, I called Creighton a team that potentially could have the, the best single unit in college basketball this year. And I was talking about their offense and, it was, you know, Stephen Ashworth running the show, knocking down three-pointers. You know, Trey Alexander kind of getting to his spots. Baylor Shireman playing this playmaker-slash-scoring role. Of course, you know what you're getting from Ryan Kalkburn. You're getting flanked by Mason Miller, knocking down three-pointers. And it just feels like there's so many different things that that McDermott's offense could do before the season started that it was just on some nights – on most nights, it felt like coming into the season that Creighton might just have too much for you to to keep up with. And if it wasn't, you know, if it wasn't this thing, then it was that thing that was working. And they've got so many things that could work that inevitably two or three of them are going to work on any given night and you just can't keep up with them. That's not totally how it's played out this year. Um, not even kind of. They've had some, some massive stinkers offensively and um, certainly haven't been a dominant force offensively throughout the season but this was on this particular night this was like yep that's that's what i was talking about now granted this is still a team that's borderline top 10 in offensive efficiency it's not like they've been horrible but it hasn't been quite the the unstoppable force that i thought it could be and it kind of looked like that tonight no they have been underwhelming offensively i will stick by that unapologetically they have been frustrating to watch because it hasn't clicked the way that you and I both believed it could. And this game proved that it could. 
Mm. UConn's a great defensive team. It just didn't matter. Mm. The part of this I'm really interested in, and I, UConn is going to be just fine. This happens. Nobody needs to panic. Sometimes you'll lose. Especially right after you just blew the doors off of a top five opponent. This was not a great game to go have after you play Marquette. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned his name. Part of what I was frustrated with is that this just wasn't working with Stephen Ashworth the way that it was supposed to. Mm-hmm. He is comfortable and confident now. Last 10 games or so, he has been really good. I think he had 16 points in the first half. He was taking threes without hesitation, making confident decisions. The bench was also good. Shout out to specifically Farabello and Green. But if if this is what you have moving forward, and Stephen Ashworth is going to be this player moving forward, I would not be, and there are a lot of, we were talking about this go, during the game, about how probably everybody's going to start jumping on Creighton now because they got this win, just like everybody jumped on Auburn earlier. I have always believed that this... I didn't jump on over. No, no. no. Yes, that is very true. Just for the record. I have always believed in this formula and the way that these teams are built, which is why I picked them to go to the Final Four last year. And that was despite, now I know Kalkbrenner's injury was part of that, but they were bad during and disappointing during the regular season. And they still figured out a way that by tournament time, they looked like the team that we both thought they could be. Mm Mm-hmm. It kind of feels like the same thing is happening here. Now, we got to wait and see if they keep this up. And they're not going to win the Big East, which is what I think you picked them, and I certainly would not have been surprised. But this is if you get those guards going and they figure this out, they're good enough defensively, and they start scoring and shooting the lights out like this sometimes. That is a combination to get you within striking distance of the Final Four again. We're not there yet, but there are some similarities in terms of how these seasons are playing out to me. Sure. They also shot 55% from the field and 50% from the three-point line. Yeah, so so the next time, you know, you know, play, I mean, they they've beaten since the middle of since they lost to UConn, they've beaten Seton Hall, Xavier, DePaul, Xavier, Georgetown, Butler. And then tonight they beat UConn. But they were six and two in their last eight coming into this game, and they beat up on a bunch of mid to bad Big East teams. So um, I hear you. I am, and I think that Stephen Ashworth's like sometimes it's hard to be the guy that you were at Utah State when you come into Creighton and there's Ryan Cockburner and there's Trey Alexander and there's Baylor Shireman. And if he's looks closer, which he did tonight looks more like the Utah State version of Stephen Ashworth than than you're absolutely cooking. I think you're I think you're right. I also just, you know, they they get to play Marquette at home still. They get to, I mean, they'll play a, a Seton Hall team that always seems to be tough. Um they'll go on the road at Villanova to attend the season. Um like it, we could very much be talking singing the same tune in in you know 14 days about how this kind of feels like all of a sudden Creighton kind of did this circle where they started as a team that was a, a, a pretty popular final four pick. And by the time we get to selection Sunday, they've kind of done this full circle back to being a trendy final four pick again. Yeah. Gonna have to see how it goes. 
Right. They haven't exactly run through all the best teams in the Big East here. Mm -hmm. But to me, I needed something to point to to believe that this can change and that this run that they're on is sustainable. And that is Stephen Ashworth. He just looks so much more decisive, so much more comfortable that he knows what he's doing within this offense. He knows what his role is. And when the ball stops at him, I mean, there was that one three he hit where I forget who it was. Somebody was, I think it was maybe Johnson was trying to close on him and he kind of hesitated and Ashworth said, all right, he was, you know, five, 10 feet behind the three point line. You're not going to go close me out. I'm going to take the three. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like he was making those kind of choices earlier this season. And now it's really all coming together. And it's impressive they can do this without Baylor Shireman having a good game. He, he scored some points in the second half, finally. But that is that is the kind of offensive firepower they have, is that their potential Big East player of the year was bad. And they still blew out the number one team in the country. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Like I said, 85-66, Creighton handing UConn their first loss since they lost to Seton Hall way back on December 20th. That was the last time Dan Hurley's Huskies lost a game. They fall tonight in Omaha last night in Houston. Number two, Houston, 73, I guess who will, unless they lose later this week. And I haven't checked the rest of their schedule, but Houston, in theory, will be the number one team in the country unless you know assuming they they get Baylor on the road. So that's yep. that that could that could um that could spoil the party. But as of right now, after a 73-65 win over number six Iowa State, they are at least in line for the throne. But an eight point victory, uh it was the Jamal Shed and Emmanuel Sharp show 46 combined from those two guys. And you kind of get, you know, despite Despite a two of ten game from LJ Cryer, when you get forty six from those guys, um, you're probably going to find a way to win the game, and they did just that against the top ten team in Iowa State. So I've got two things here. I'm curious and want to run by you. One, if I'm playing these guys, if I have them on my side of the my region or my part of a region bracket have them in the Big 12 tournament, whatever. I am going to try and get specifically Juwan Roberts, but some combination of Roberts, Cryer, and Shed and Foul Trouble. That is my strategy. Because that was really when Iowa State was able to get back get, in the game. Get 60% of their best players in foul trouble seems like a legitimate... Right. Like a yeah. le like a legitimate way to win a basketball game. Yeah. Not that it happens every night, but if you can just get him off the floor for a little bit, take him out of a little bit of a rhythm. I mean, they jumped out to a lead, and Iowa State outplayed him basically the rest of the way. Now, it wasn't enough because you can't give Houston a 10-point advantage at home. You're just not winning the game. And Iowa State got there. I mean, give them credit. <laughs> seemed like about 10 different times. They got it to six. They got it to four. They were right there and they could just never build off of that. And then Jamal Shedd would go do something else. And all of a sudden it was back to 10 and then it was back down to six, but it was never really in danger for the most part because they spotted them that advantage at the beginning. So that's one is you did see the value of getting guys, even though Houston's deep and plays, you know, variety of players, get the best players off the floor. That's what I'm trying to do 
Easier said than done. The second thing. If you want a reason to buy into this Houston team, I have come to the conclusion that it is very simple. You mean outside of number one at Kempom, number two in the country, all of those other things? Because we've done that, but we've done, I'm talking specifically to win a national championship because we've done that part before and they've still come up short. Sure. Jamal Shedd being the guy. There is not a player in the country I have more confidence in. He is the best floor general, best decision maker. I would argue in the country. And you look at these other teams up at the top, okay? I mean, UConn, obviously the guards are really good. Castle's been excellent. Tristan Newton's really good. Both of them are kind of combo guards, though, right? They don't necessarily have a true point guard. They kind of run it by committee. So sort of take them out for a second. Purdue, Braden Smith still makes some head-scratching decisions as good as he's been this season. Jamal Because Shad, he has the ball in his hand for 40 minutes. All the time. I will, right. go, I will go to bat for that. He's the only guy sure. who has any interest in making plays for anybody else on that team. Sure, sure. Part of it is, is his role. Fair. Marcus Sasser sometimes had a tendency to disappear. Not every game, but right there were those times where Marcus Sasser would go 3-12 from the field and you go, oh, Houston lost. Marcus Sasser had a bad game. Sure. Jamal Shedd is the opposite. When nobody else is scoring, he goes, oh, okay. I'll go get 25. Whenever we need a basket, I'll just make sure it happens. And if he doesn't have to score 25, he'll go dish out eight assists or whatever. Mm. His ability to just do what is needed is incredible. If if you're going to find a way to elevate to that next level and to win playing this way, where you're so reliant on defense, that to me is the formula. That's what makes this team different is that it is Jamal Shedd's team. And you saw it in this game where, no, I mean, you got probably two of the best three defensive teams in the country. Nobody really had a good game except for Jamal Shedd because he just kept making plays and would not let Iowa State get close enough to actually take a lead at any point. That's what I was thinking about watching this, is that I have so much more confidence in him showing up and doing what needs to be done than just about any other player in the country. I don't disagree with that. I think LJ Cryer also being on the all-region team is the way that Houston gets to a Final Four. Uh, like if he's if he averages eight on ten shots for the first two weekends of the NCAA tournament, they're not going to get to the Final yeah. Four. It's That's not the problem. Right. That that is the other part of this is that they have a replacement for Marcus Sasser in addition to Jamal Shedd carrying the responsibility. Right. That combination, sure. Um. So that would be my only. That would be the the cherry on top, I suppose that that I would that I would qualify that with is that it's yeah um, because yes, but sometimes it's only sixteen from Jamal Shed. <laughs> like it's like it's not like it's oh we need I need to score I'm gonna go get you twenty seven. It's not like it always just happens exactly like that. And getting to shoot thirteen free throws is helpful. Like he only scored 14 points on the floor. And so um that would be my only that would be my only rebuttal. Um turning it over 16 times against Houston, you're probably never gonna win that yeah, game that ever. Too. <laughs> um yeah. If Iowa State 
wants to on the other side, if Iowa State wants to go deep in the tournament, Tame and Lipsy yep. against the best teams that they play can't go one of eight from the field. Yep. Um and they still looked good. I mean, they put up a yeah, real fight. It, it's it's a top ten team in the country. It's not an Iowa State team of years past when of the last couple of years where it's like yeah, clearly they've got a little bit of magic. And sometimes you also remember that they're really like the 37th best team in the country and not like the 18th best team in the country that they kind of like to play sometimes. Like this is a top 10 team in the country. And so yeah. even when they have the talent to withstand what's probably their most important player when it comes to how deep are you going to go in the tournament, you can withstand that on a given night. But if 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 we want to talk about Iowa State threatening a final four in Phoenix, then, then he's got to be better than what he was in this game against another top 10 team, a top five team on, on this night, but, uh, 70, 63, 65 Houston now 10 and three in big 12 play. Can I throw one more thing in there quick? Surely. We taught, I, we were talking about this when we stopped recording Sunday, obviously Houston's conference to lose at this point. However, they got three road games left, starting with that game against Baylor and Kansas comes to Houston. Now, I expect Houston to win every home game they play, but that is a difficult stretch. You look at Iowa State, the way they've played this season, they could, this is the Big 12, so it's never going to be easily, but they could conceivably win out. This title race is not over quite yet. I'm not sure that Iowa State can make up two games and win it outright. I would not be surprised at all, though, if these two teams end up sharing the title. Fair enough. Last but not least, quickly, Utah State 68, number 19, San Diego State 63. Really, the difference in this game was that Jaden Ledee had 23 and his best supporting cast got him 11 points and Darius Brown the second had 25 and he got 17 from his most close supporting cast um they won the game by five obviously it's not that simple but there were two guys that had standout nights um in this game and one team uh gave their guy a little bit more help and that was ultimately um to make it more elementary than it probably needs to be uh that was the difference in the game Great Osaborne and Darius Brown were fantastic. They can really pass the ball. They are fun to watch. And when you have a big that can do the things Great Osaborne can do, it makes you a very intriguing and a very good offensive team, which did not necessarily show itself in this game. But give credit to Utah State because this was a San Diego State-style game, and they still found a way to win it. Mm. I was kind of going into this thinking you need to push the tempo a little bit. You got to get up into the seventies, right? Cause this is where San Diego state lives. 68, 68, 63. And they came out on the wrong side of it because yeah, Osaborne Brown were just better than any two players that San Diego state had on the floor. Maybe Jaden Ledee was the best player. Maybe it was really close between those three guys. I honestly think Osaborne might've been the best player with the defensive plays he made at the end. And can we just talk about the fact that Utah State currently is winning the Mountain West? There you go. Do you know how many points they brought back from last season? It hit me. Zero. Mm. 
Danny 350th, 360th in minutes continuity, 0.1%. Yeah. They were picked ninth. They are winning this conference with six really, really good basketball teams in it. Yeah. Six good basketball teams. Let's settle down. Sure. Okay. Fair. I was the one that you know. the, the Mountain West is the conference this year that everyone like likes to t- talk about yep. is w- way better than it actually yes. is. You're at, you are absolutely right. And I was the one complaining about how San Diego State hasn't actually done anything and loses on the road to every good team they play. So right. yes, <laughs> I mean maybe they've, he does. They've got four. They've got four sub one seventy five compound teams. Four. Yeah, the top the, those top six teams are all good though they're all solid yes yeah yeah it's still the mountain west sure sure maybe danny sprinkle doesn't win national coach of the year but he sure has an argument for what he has done starting from scratch with this team Mm -hmm. and yeah they're they're winning everybody's favorite conference it's an incredible incredible story who's the who's the coach of the year on february 20th That is a really difficult question. See, I want to go with somebody like Danny Sprinkle because I really go for the overachievers that more than the Danny Hurley because they've got a juggernaut or Matt Painter or, I mean, Lamont Paris certainly also has an argument. He would be high on my list. I think Otzelberger deserves to be a high up on that Ot- list. Otzelberger is certainly in that conversation, especially if they win the conference. I mean, Kelvin Sampson inherently has to be. Yep. He wouldn't have my vote, but if you win the best conference in the country and you end as number one team in the country. Is Bruce Pearl on that list somewhere? Somewhere. Not, I mean, Rick Barnes. Hmm. I would hmm. tend to go more in the depending on how things go the rest of the way i'm i might say lamont paris so it was tang cooley the last two years it was few because of how many games gonzaga won the year before yeah. it was anthony grant at dayton the year before that so if we're on the tang cooley kind of path like i think lamont paris is probably like i don't know what the odds are i don't care but He's got to be close to one of the favorites. Yeah. They got to finish strong, though. Sure. Sure. If it, I mean, if it kind of falls. It's only February 20th. Right. Right. They're they're in that trajectory. But I think there was also a. Maybe it was just because they're playing the Big 12. It was very clear that that Kansas State team was not just having a good season, but was legitimately dangerous. Mm. And I don't feel that way about South Carolina right now. That's fair. According to odds checkers. And then we're going to... No, never mind. That's not... That didn't take me where I thought it was going to take me. 23 minutes into the underrated podcast, I'm not looking anymore. Um, anything else on Utah State? 68, 63, 10-4, alone at top of the Mountain West. No, that's all I had there. Fun game. Indeed. Indeed. Shouts to St. Mary's, by the way. They're playing right now. This is why I'm thinking about it, but uh, they're all the way back up to 18th in the country. Yeah. I had somebody, I had somebody tell me a couple of days ago that they made a bet on St. Mary's to win the West Coast Conference, like way back at the beginning of the season because of something they heard me say. 
And my initial reaction was, oh man, that's not going to happen. I feel bad about that. Because quite frankly, um, I kind of forgot about St. Mary's. Um, well, they fell off the face of the earth for a while there. Yeah. And now they own the nation's longest active winning streak. Yeah. And they are going to run away. More than likely. Assuming yeah. nothing. They play, they're playing San Francisco tonight, who is also a quality basketball team. But they're 12-0 in the conference. And unless they do something silly, they're going to win the conference because they only get Gonzaga one. If they win tonight, they're basically going to win the conference. And because they get San Diego and Pepperdine before they get Gonzaga to end the season. So if they win tonight, it's basically going to be impossible for anybody else to win the conference. Um, so shouts to them. That's the only other thing I have. Yeah, and it's weird because we were talking about that again with San Diego State. That win looks incredible. Mm -hmm. And they blew the doors off of them when St. Mary's was terrible. That has to count for something. You weren't playing this St. Mary's team. You were yeah. playing the team that we were both disappointed. We weren't going to get to talk about Aiden Mahaney all season. And right. Because we both said, this is the year. If Gonzaga's ever going to lose this conference, here we go. And, well, ultimately, St. Mary's delivered straight. Yep. Such a strange season, though. But oh, they are, yeah, just quietly obliterating everybody. There you go. We'll be back Thursday. Thursday evening to talk about whatever's happened in the uh, 48 hours that are yet to come. Uh, a couple things on the radar. Florida is at Alabama. That's top 25 matchup in the SEC. Shouts to Florida. Felt like they were kind of knocking on the door here or there, the top 25. This week, they are actually in um, Illinois at Penn State, if you care about that. Um Washington State, number 21 team in the country, is at number four, Arizona. Talk about a team that's kind of just after they were, they had their moment of, is Arizona the best team in the country? And then people decided that they weren't. They're just kind of quietly cruising along uh, in the Pac 12, doing their thing in a conference that has supplied us with basically no good teams. So shouts to Washington State. But um, the, the number of good teams there is, um, is 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 relatively few and far between. So Arizona gets a test at home at the McHale Center. I'm sure maybe we'll talk about that. It might be at past our bedtime, so we might not talk about that. But um, we'll see what's going on on Thursday. Uh, until then, thanks so much for being here. This is the other podcast for Tuesday, February 20th. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your shows. Follow the pod on Twitter. Subscribe on YouTube, thanks so much for being here. We will see you on Thursday.